all this morning. Thank you uh, for your warm welcome. I've been asked to speak this morning and to think a little bit about um, the subject of what the good news, what the gospel means uh, to me and how that helps me to talk to other people, how that helps me to invite other people, how that helps me to share that good news with others. What a great subject to be thinking about this morning. But before, um, before I start speaking, let's pray together and offer our time to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you for Jesus. Please would you lift him up in our hearts and our minds this morning. Please would we be drawn to him, we pray, in his name. Amen. So what is it about the good news uh, that um, inspires me to invite other people? Let me, let me start here. Let me start with this. Uh, a little uh, earlier this year, I was reading a, reading a novel um, called All the Light You Cannot See. You might have seen it in, uh, in Smith's or um, in Waterstones or that kind of thing. It's a really moving love story. I don't know whether you like love stories or not, but this is a really moving love story set in the Second World War in a small town in France called St. Malo. And there are two characters, two main characters in the story. The first is a blind French teenage girl. She has been brought up by her dad um, to be able to kind of navigate her way around St. Marlowe. He drew her, made a really intricate model so that she could learn uh, what it looked like and then kind of translate that into the streets. And she kind of inspires great acts of courage and resistance in people around her. Second character is a young kind of teenage German boy who's a brilliant um, engineer and technician. Through no fault of his own, he gets caught up with the Hitler Youth and is drawn into the kind of um, army and ends up fighting in the trenches. Their stories, as you go through the novel, are kind of intertwined in all sorts of really interesting ways. And right at the end of the novel, after you've gone through 500 pages or so, they eventually meet one another. I won't tell you what happens uh, when they meet. You can get hold of the book and find out for yourself. I'd really recommend it. It's, uh, it's, really, it's really good. But what's interesting is that when they meet, their expectations of each other are somehow kind of enlarged. They realize that there is so much more to the person that's standing in front of them that they hadn't previously realized. They realize that there's much more to each other. Maybe you've had that experience with someone that you know. Maybe uh, an old friend you've, or, um, or family member you've kind of fun, suddenly found hidden depths that you didn't realize uh, were ever there. If there's one thing that I would like you to take away from this morning, it's simply this. Jesus Christ is much more compelling and much more surprising than you think he is. Jesus Christ is much richer, much better than you think he is. And that's true this morning, whether or not you would call yourself a Christian. So it might be that you are here this morning as someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian. Maybe you are thinking about Christian things, you're kind of drawn to it somehow, but you've got lots of questions. If that's you, I would like to say to you, Jesus Christ is much more compelling than you think he is. 
But maybe you would call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've been coming to St. John's for years and years and years. And you are here every Sunday without fail, maybe twice on a Sunday now that you can be here three times even with the evening service as well. And uh, everything that you can come to midweek, you're here for that too. If that's you, I'd like to say to you that Jesus Christ is much more compelling. He's much better than you think he is. How so? Why do I say that? Let's, let's look at that story in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus meets a, a rich young ruler. It's on page 1014 of your Bibles, if you've got your Bible uh, nearby still, from verse 17. Uh, Jesus is confronted uh, by a rich young ruler. And if you met the rich young ruler today, I think you would be impressed with him. I think you would think this is a pretty successful kind of guy. He would have all the right credentials. So he would um, undoubtedly have gone to the right school, the best school and university. And, um, and now he would be working in a pretty good job, maybe down in the city somewhere and um, earning quite a lot of cash. And he'd be on a pretty prestigious kind of career path. You can almost imagine the disciples in this story. They're kind of looking at him and they're a bit worried because they're thinking, if he joins our crew, he's going to outshine all the rest of us. That's the kind of person that the rich young ruler is. And his words to Jesus in verse 17, well, they sound really encouraging. They sound good, don't they? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see what he's saying? I'm ready. Here I am. I want to join. I want in on this, whatever it is that you're doing. I want to be part of it. How how can I begin? I'm ready. Sign me up. But then Jesus gives him what sounds like a really impossible list of commands. He kind of picks up on the Ten Commandments and he says, okay, well, well, you know, you know what you have to do. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. But this guy's got real perseverance. He says, yeah, sure. Fine, okay, yeah, I can do that, no, no problem. I've been, I've been doing all the right things ever since I should have been doing them. I've got real perseverance. Let's go, I'm ready. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, go away and sell everything that you have and give your money to the poor. And we're told that at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It's kind of a really strange story, isn't it? Here's a guy who looks like he could add real, um, uh, real uh, something extra to Jesus and his band of disciples. He could really take things to the next level for them. And yet Jesus effectively keeps him at arm's length and sends him away. And to confuse matters further, the disciples then start saying, well, how can anyone... Be saved. If, this, if this kind of guy doesn't cut the mustard, how can we? And by the time, the, by the time we get to verse uh, 26, the disciples are saying to each other, look, who can be saved? It's impossible, isn't it? Strange as it might sound, this isn't primarily a story about money. It is, it is that, but there's something else going on as well, I think, at, at an even deeper level. Because he loves him, Jesus uses the story of money or uses the issue of money to illustrate something to this rich young ruler. He wants to show him something. And he wants to show him that salvation, 
God's approval, being God's friend, being reconnected with God isn't something that he can do. It's only something that Jesus can do. Look back at his question in in verse 17 and you begin to see the problem straight away. Do you see the problem with his question, the real tragedy of his question in verse 17? What must I do to be saved? What must I do? It's a tragic question because he assumes that salvation, being saved, is something that he can do. And Jesus wants to show him that it's not. God's approval, being reconnected with God, is only something that Jesus can do. Let me try to illustrate all of that um, uh, uh, this, this way. Um, in my um, a previous church role, before I moved to London last summer, I worked for a, a church out in the Cotswolds. I don't know if you know the Cotswolds or if you've heard of it. It's um, a really rural part of the country. It's kind of out near um, Oxford. If you went to Oxford and then kept going for about 45 minutes or so, you'd end up in the Cotswolds. And the Cotswolds is the, it's full of the kinds of villages that you see on postcards. So really kind of very old um, stone buildings dating from the 15th century and lots of kind of um, beautiful churches and greens, village greens. And there's always a pub on the green and a small kind of stream running past it. So that's where, that's where I lived for a few years and worked for a church. And, and when I was there, I ran the church youth group. Um, I was probably the worst youth leader you've ever come across in your entire life. But I had a go and stuck with it um, for, for a few years. And um, one year, we were running a confirmation course for our teenagers. So some, of the, some of the teenagers wanted to get confirmed, and, um, and I had to prepare them for confirmation. So one evening, we were looking at this passage in Mark chapter 10. And I asked them a question. I said to this group of teenagers, imagine that you were going to die tonight, and you went up to heaven and stood before God. And God said to you, why should I let you in? Why should I let you into my heaven? I said to the teenagers, what what would you say to him? What do you think he wants to hear? I wonder how you would answer that question here this morning in St. John's. Now, don't get me wrong. I know it's it's a hard question. That's a really tough question, right? Especially for a group of teenagers. And they all started kind of, you know, they were umming and ahhing and not quite sure what to say. And because I'm quite mean, I let them um and ah for a little bit longer and just um, wanted to see them um, squirm uh, a little bit. And um, uh, they eventually started to say things like, well, because I, um, I've, I've been to church, you know, I go to church every week and, uh, because I've been to church. Some of them who are a bit more religious said, well, I've been baptised, so you know, that's, that's why he should let me in. Some of them, they're all quite high achievers, so some of them said, well, I, I'm going to do really well in my exams and I'm going to get a good job, so that's why uh, he should let me in. Uh, to his heaven. Eventually, um, I put them out of their misery, and I said, to, and this was this is what I said to them: any answer that begins because I is no good at all, and won't be any use to you whatsoever. If you stand before God and say because I, it won't be any help. Whether it's because I was baptized whether it's because I've been to church every Sunday, whether it's even because I gave a million pounds to the church and passed all of my exams and found a really good job and did good things um, for my friends and family. It won't do you any good at all. The only answer that will count is this. Because Jesus. 
because Jesus lived the perfectly obedient life and died and rose in my place, because Jesus is my righteousness, because he is my hope, my joy, my all in all, because Jesus has done it all for me. As Jesus says in verse 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus is much better than you think he is. He is much richer. He is much more surprising. He is much better than you think he is. Let me just share for a moment how I found that to be the case when I first became a Christian. I grew up as... um, part of quite a, quite a churchy family, really, um, when, I was, when I was small. My parents were very involved in the local church uh, in lots of ways, and um, very faithfully, every Sunday, uh, they, they took us along to church. I was never very outstanding as uh, a teenager. That's partly why I joined the Church of England. Um, I, I like to think of myself as a pretty a hard-working, a pretty responsible kind of teenager. I did okay at school, or wasn't ever the greatest, I wasn't ever the worst. Um, and I, I didn't ever really get into that much trouble as a teenager. And when I did, I was really good at covering it up, so no one ever knew. Apart from in one fairly significant way, as a teenager, I would say that I was, without doubt, the angriest person that I knew. I could spend hours, days even, in a real rage, in a real tantrum. And it always happened for the same reason. It was always the same thing that set me off. It always happened when I thought that I wasn't getting a fair deal. When I thought that I wasn't getting what I deserved to get. And it could have been for anything. It could have been over the right grade at school or um, some food or, I don't know, something that was going on at home. It could be for any reason whatsoever. If I thought I wasn't getting a fair deal, I'd fly into a rage. And looking back, I think I realized that in one really significant way, I had a faulty view of the world and a faulty view of God. Just like the rich young ruler, my view of God was this. I thought that if I did all of the right things, If I worked hard at school, if I went to church every week, if I looked after my friends um, and wasn't ever mean to them, God would give me all the things I thought I deserved. I wouldn't have said this, but I thought God was a bit like a slot machine. I thought you put your, your kind of coins in and you pull the lever and out comes what you want at the end. That's kind of what I thought God was like. I put in my kind of um, responsible, hard-working, good deeds, and I pulled the lever, and out, come, out, out would come the result that I wanted. Yet, as we've seen in this story in Mark 10, Jesus completely explodes that view of God. God is no one's debtor. He doesn't owe anyone anything. Yet, in his grace, he gives us so much more than we deserve, if only we'll come to him. Jesus is much better. He is much richer. He is much more surprising than you might think he is. What might all this mean for how we uh, go about talking to other people about Jesus and sharing our faith if that's something that, that we want to do? What does it mean for how we tell our friends that we are a Christian and, um, uh, and uh, talk to them about Christian things? I guess there's really just one thing that I'd want to say to you that I've noticed in all of my uh, years of being a Christian. And that's this. 
We will only share Jesus with our friends if we think he's worth sharing. We'll only share him with our friends if we think that he is shareable. Let me try to um, unpack that uh, a, a little bit. Think for a moment um, of, and just, uh, don't share that app, but let's do a little thought experiment. If I say to you the word evangelist, what comes to mind? I guess um, there might be kind of fairly differing uh, opinions, but when I hear the word evangelist, what comes to mind is this. Someone who is able to kind of um, knock down any arguments that someone might have to the Christian faith. Someone who's really good at information. Someone who's really good at saying, you might have a problem with suffering, but this. Or you might, have, uh, you might not know how science and Christianity works, but, but I can answer that objection. In my mind, I think an evangelist is someone who's really good at knocking down arguments. I don't know what it might be uh, for you. Maybe you can come and tell me afterwards. Now, now, now change uh, the picture for a moment. Think about the person who was most influential in you becoming a Christian. There might be a few people, but think, think about, just think about one person who was really influential in you becoming a Christian. My guess is, and I might be wrong, but my guess is that person wasn't necessarily someone who was really good with arguments, someone who could answer every question. Someone who could knock down every objection that people have to the Christian faith. My guess is that person simply loved you and was pretty good at talking about Jesus, just mentioning Jesus, introducing you to Jesus, saying, come and see. This is what Jesus is like. This is who he is. You see, if you're anything like me, it's pretty easy to think that if we're going to be any good at telling our friends, what we've got to do is we've got to be able to give them information. We've got to be able to answer their questions and their objections and say, you might think this is a problem, but I know the answer. Actually, all we need to do if we're going to tell our friends about Jesus is think that Jesus is worth sharing. If we think that Jesus is worth sharing, we'll want to share him. So Jesus is better than you think he is. And if he is better than you think he is, then you will want to tell people about him, even if you can't answer the really difficult questions that they have. You'll, you'll be able to say, look, I, do you know what? I really struggle with the idea of suffering too, but I can trust Jesus with it, and I know that I can. I might not be, I might not be able to answer your hard question, but I can trust Jesus with it. Let me try to illustrate it uh, like this as I close. The past few weeks have been um, fairly tumultuous in our political life uh, as a nation. There have been all sorts of ups and downs, ins and outs going on. Um, and it might have left you feeling fairly kind of shaky. It certainly has for me uh, at times. But one of the things that I really love about general elections in particular is you get to see all of the kind of ceremonies and institutions um, or the ceremonies that go on in our great institutions in a way that you don't normally do in real life. And one of the really funny ones was, has been, um, took place in Parliament just after the election happened. So when, um, after the election, all the new MPs came together for the first time, they have to um, 
elect the Speaker of the House, you know, the person who kind of sits in the chair and tells all the MPs to sit down and be quiet so someone can actually speak. They have to elect him. And after he's been elected, uh, he has to be physically dragged from where he's sitting up to his seat in Parliament. So the person who kind of proposed him and uh, seconded him, they have to walk over to where he's sitting and they have to literally grab hold of him and pull him up from his seat uh, up, to his, up to the speaker's chair so that he can be the speaker of the house. I, I, I saw that clip on the BBC website. It might still be up there um, if you want to go and have a, have a search for it. They don't hurt him. It's not painful in case you're worrying, uh, but they do ha- that's how it works. They have to kind of drag him up there. As I was kind of preparing for this morning and thinking about these things, I, I, I saw that clip and I, I kind of thought, you know what, there is a sense in which telling our friends about Jesus is a little bit like doing that. It's a little bit like saying to them, come and see. Come and see. Jesus is better than you think he is, so come and see. I might not be able to answer your hard questions, but come and see. Come to church with me on Sunday morning. Come and see. We don't need all the answers. We don't need the right words. Most of the time, 99% of the time, we won't have the right words. But come and see. And we'll find a willingness to do that when we truly realise that Jesus is better than we think he is. I'm going to pray as we close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you today for Jesus. Thank you for his perfect life. Thank you for his love. Thank you for his willingness to be honest and say hard things. Thank you that he is much better than we realize and we think he is. Please would you help us to know him in our lives more truly and more deeply and more richly. And as we do, to share him with others. In his name we pray. Amen. Feel free to just um, sit and reflect on Matt's words.